Hello and welcome to Scran, a podcast. Sorry, I can't stop laughing at that. She put that as a wee cut out for the start <laughs> of this episode. <laughs> you breathing in the background. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Scran, a podcast passionate about Scottish food and drink. This week I'm heading off to the Glengoyne Distillery, which is just outside Glasgow. But before all that, I'm in the studio in person with Sean Murphy, the editor of Scotsman Food and Drink site. Hi, Sean. How you doing? I'm fine, how are you? I'm good, very, very good. Nice to see you here in person. I know, in, in Edinburgh for a change. Yeah, that was a bit of a harrowing journey to get through, but that was good. But you're here now. So I'm heading off to Glengoyne for this episode of Scran. Have you visited the distillery before? Yeah, it's a really beautiful little distillery and it's one of the ones that I normally recommend if people are visiting Glasgow. Obviously we have now got four distilleries around about Glasgow. One of them you can't really visit. The other one being Clydeside, really interesting distillery. Then you have the Ockentoshing Distillery down in Clydebank, which is a bit further out, but I think one of the ones I usually tip is Glen Goyne because it has such beautiful scenery, you know, the hill of Dumb Goyne behind it. It's on the West Highland Way as well, so it's, it's really well worth a visit. I've been once before and yeah, it's, it's really picturesque. You would never know that you're just, what, 20 minutes outside Glasgow? Yeah, it's absolutely crazy. I mean, you do actually feel like you're stepping into the Highlands when you're there and it's not that far from Glasgow. You can actually get a bus from the city centre, I think, as well, which is cool. Especially if you're trying whiskey. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, when we used to be in the pot still, people would ask, you know, where can we go? I mean, you'd obviously recommend, before, this is before Clydeside, obviously, but you recommend, you know, either going down to Auchentoshan or conversely going to Glengoyne and they probably would have been quite surprised at the change, how quickly it changes from, you know, that, that town scenery into really beautiful island scenery. And have you tried their whiskey and what do you think of it? Absolutely love it. We were big fans in the pub. We used to do a roaring trade in the teapot dram. I think we still do, but yeah, when, when they first brought that out, we pushed it quite heavily, cashed in first fill sherry cask. It changes depending on iteration, but the original one was, you know, absolutely brilliant and I think a lot of people really loved it. So I'm going to meet Gordon Dallas who is their whiskey experiential ambassador which will be interesting because they've launched a new experience which takes visitors on a virtual tour of the distillery's past as well as being able to taste some of their whiskies. How important do you think things like that are for people who don't really know much about whiskey? I think it's really tangible for them. I think like a lot of the time whiskey can be quite an abstract concept if you don't really understand it it's just a drink it's there you don't really get the passion side of things so to be able to go and learn and have that passion instilled in you is really really important because all it does is it creates a lasting impression that could really make somebody fall in love with the drink and have them coming back to the distillery you know again and again or going to other distilleries in Scotland which can only be beneficial on a tourism side of things and I think experiences that these days are what people want I don't think people now you know in the old days you would just go and have a dram and that would be your whack but nowadays they really engage the idea of giving people a full-on interactive experience that lets them see the history it gives them a little bit of the heritage it talks about you know the educational aspect the production side and then you really get a full you know 3d image of what it takes to make a whiskey. Which is what I think we're going to eventually see with this Johnny Walker experience. It's not called anything other than the Johnny Walker experience, so it can only be very interactive. So it's good to see a distillery like Glengoyne kind of getting on, on board with that as well. Yeah, I mean, I think you're going to be drawn there anyway because it's a beautiful distillery, it has beautiful scenery, but just taking it to that next level, you know, like catching up with some of the other distilleries who are already factoring these things in, it's now becoming really important. That, you know, in the old days, 
distilleries were just production sites and that was it you know that, that that's essentially what they were but but nowadays you're really catering for people and really making it a big draw and giving people another reason to come to Scotland which I think is massively important I mean you're only seeing whiskey tourism numbers continuously rising year on year and it can only benefit the country and one of the things that is going to be discussed on the experience I keep wanting to call it a tour but it's not <laughs> is the past of distilling, which included a lot of illicit distilleries, why do you think that was? And Scotland has got a rich kind of heritage, and I keep saying old heritage, but a rich past of illicit distilling because in the old days you would have had a lot of leftover malted barley, and, and you know, it, it is relatively simple if you have the right equipment to make whiskey or, you know, the original spirit, white spirit. I mean, they wouldn't have probably, in the original days, wouldn't have been resting them in casts so they wouldn't have what we today would call whiskey but they would have something appro- approximately similar and it was a really easy way to make extra income off multiple that you didn't need you know how quickly Scotland's entire history has been linked to that kind of production of alcohol and, and really these really wonderful spirits is all to do with storytelling and I think that these farmers would have been had about spare time. They create this this spirit. They then take that into town and, and share it with you know anybody that was looking to buy it. And it just really created a, a, a real community aspect to it. Obviously, when taxation comes into play, that becomes a, a massive problem because you need to cut this down. But yeah, as being Scotch, you know, we're always innovative, always, I wouldn't say sleek it, but uh, canny is probably the word that I'd be looking for in terms of being able to avoid that aspect and and that's probably a big part of the reasons how the regions have developed as well you know and the the highlands and places like Speyside would have been where people would have went and it was a, a easy to hide you know to all these valleys and you probably still see in the, the islands of Scotland today that there's places where it's really hard to get you know if you're an exciseman to get to and that's probably why it became quite popular and you, you've seen it exported to places like New Zealand and America and Australia where these places are now getting their own budging and whiskey industries as well. Well, thanks very much, Sean. I'm looking forward to finding out more about Glengoyne, but thanks for your help. I know, I'm very, very jealous. And uh, say hi, Gordon, for me when you go. Uh, he's a great character. I will. I'm looking forward to it. I've seen, I've seen pictures. <laughs> he he's dresses up and things, which so should be good. Yeah, I'm looking forward to actually finding out a bit about your in terms of the experience and what you think about it as well. Thank you. I'm here at the Glengoyne Distillery. We're in the... Um, shop snug which is a tasting room come what looks like living room it's really cozy there's a nice wee fire and i'm here with gordon dallas who i've mentioned earlier and please tell me if i'm saying this wrong gordon you're a whiskey ex- experiential ambassador I, I, we think well it's the first one in this company yeah. and i'd like to think i'm one of the only ones in scotland but the, there may be others of us out there yeah. and if they are you can maybe contact rosalind <laughs> We can chat. As I've said, we're in the um, the snug in the distillery shop, and you have mentioned that this was you call it ground zero. Is this one of the original yes. buildings of yeah, the distillery? Yeah, this is the old warehouse. Yeah. Yep. This is uh, where the whiskey used to be stored uh, back in the day. In the day being, you know, really from the when the Victorian guys took it over, they'd have built this quite sizable warehouse. So we're in the old warehouse. They're now across the roads. It's now the shop, but yeah, this is where it really the first building I would think 
probably built would be a building to store and keep your whiskey safe. And you can kind of see that, like the walls look a bit, you know, you can see the stone in the wall yeah. and it's all a bit... You'd, you'd struggle to get in there, wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they are about eight inch thick walls, so they, they, they kept them very safe here. And as I've just mentioned, your job, which sounds absolutely fabulous, what exactly does it entail, Bina? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's just trying to give a little bit of depth and storytelling and just approach whiskey in a slightly different way to just the normal tastings. So it's um, it really came about by doing the Edinburgh Festival two years ago. If anyone saw it, I was up at the top of the Royal Mile and it was a one-hour immersive projected show and we were tasting whiskies as you'd normally do, but it was a bit of a theatrical experience and I got dressed up as the one of the Victorian managers of the distillery and we had some projections in the wall, you know, going back a few years and just tried to bring things to life, tried to do it slightly differently. So... It is to bring experiences to to the whiskey ex- uh, world, as we say, to the whiskey experience. But yeah, it's to to bring more colour to the whiskey experience. It's a little bit different from your normal like I'm going to say tours, but we'll get onto that in a minute. So yeah. it's different from your normal like tastings and things because you are getting dressed up. That's right. I mean, the brand I I, I do a lot of work uh, with other brand ambassadors out there in the world and we go around Europe and and whatnot. But this job is to do that partly. And I do help out travel retail as well. But what you'll see tonight, hopefully, is just a, a story. It's a, a, a retelling of the history of Glengoyne. And I do various other, you know, experiential offerings as well. I do a, a little, what we call, fill your cask up. It's almost like a, a, a game of bingo where you've got lots of dates that are important to the world of whiskey. And they're in cork bungs and I pull them out and I explain why that date's important. And if it's on your card, you, you mark it off. Four corners is a prize, a line's a prize. And we play a game, so it's an interactive way of learning about the history of whiskey while sampling some and playing a game. So that's one example of an experiential offering, and tonight is another. And do you find that things like that, do they, does it appeal to someone who's maybe not as into whiskey as someone who might be very, very enthusiastic? So far, yeah, it's both, I think. So far it's been great. But yeah, the biggest compliment I think I, I like, and I know tonight there's people coming that are uh, not exactly whiskey experts. And I love it when they go away thinking, it's what a great night it's been. You know, it's, 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 we're bringing content to the world of tasting whiskey. And the content being tonight, a sort of history and bringing history to life through certain individuals and anecdotes and stories that Glen Goyne's been absolutely famous and littered with a huge array of great stories. And that's what we'll be talking about and doing tonight. And then you'll get a little whiskey here and there. So... Yeah, if you don't like whiskey, hopefully this will appeal. Isn't it? It's, it's a piece of, you know, a bit of theatre stroke, a show. And a drink. Oh, yes. <laughs> I think five drinks. And the show gets better after the third, the third drink. <laughs> so you're saying that um, Glen Goyne's got stories. And I think the, the thing that I took away when I did the tour, done it a couple of times, is that it's a Highland whiskey that's matured in the lowlands, despite the fact we're only, what, about half an hour from Glasgow. Uh, so can you explain a bit more about that? That's right. And that's that's the first section. Tonight, we do. We, there's five sections. And the first section deals with a sort of illegal part of the story before we get into the legal story. But that line that you're talking about was brought in in 1784. The Highland boundary line for the first time... Well, your listeners will know there's now five production regions in Scotland, from Highland to Lowland, Camelton Island, Speysides. 1784, there was two. You know, 1783, there was none. A line was drawn, kind of squiggly line, all the way out to the Firth Firth of Tay from the Firth of Clyde. And south of that line you could apply for a licence and export and make money. 
so the lowland whiskies could be exported down to London and you could make cash and money from it. If you were north of the line, you weren't allowed to make money from it. Personal consumption only. And that was a, a, a taxation line. And more than that, the law uh, that's called the Wash Act of 1784 stipulated that you had to use barley from your local parish. You had to only have one, then it was two stills in that parish. And the whiskey made in those stills could not be exported. It was only for consumption by yourself or people within that parish. So the people that were north of the line were now bereft and devoid of making money. And that line followed mostly drover's trails. There's no point in putting a line through the countryside. You can't police it. And that line passes the old merchants or drover's trail, which is now the A81. So the guys found themselves that were on the other side of the line, on the hills and the camps is here, they were now in the Highland region by law. And the ones over the hills uh, were able to make money and make a living from distilling their, their spirit. And that line still stays today as the boundary line between Highland and Lowland. But it was all started by that ridiculous law, which only lasted 40 years, by the way. And we'll explain in this tour why it got taken down and why it was put in the, the, the waste bin of history in 1823. But for 40 years, it caused mayhem in Scotland. And it's something, Rosalind, we're not really told about at school. I never learned about that at school, did you? No, I did not I did not know that. Yeah, that's and, and, and Glengoyne finds itself now, yep, that 881 is the line that sort of demarks Highlands from Lowlands, and our new warehouses across there are in the official lowlands it's really interesting i had no idea so the people who were who, who couldn't make the money were obviously really annoyed because they would have been making money before that correct correct and that's what we address in this part uh, the first part of the, the experience of the story tonight is what did they do you know it's almost like the berlin wall going up that was a huge attacks a tax line because the government uh, could tax the lowlands and make a bit of money you know, the reason your listeners might be thinking, why did they do that? Well, there was two distilleries in the Firth of Forth, Kennetpans and Colbaggy, and um, the tax take that the government got from those two distilleries was almost the same as the land tax of Scotland. It was a huge cash cow for the British government. So they thought, if we just draw a line and we just tax those guys in the, in the lowlands, we can make a hell of a lot of money. And the ones up in the north, well, they can't watered down and they can't get into the market so just they can drink it themselves make it themselves but they ain't going to dilute the market we're going to control it and that's what they tried to do but the guys in the north had other other plans yeah know. which is funny because it's the, all the space sides and stuff now that are quite like the most well known aren't they really so it's weird that all oh it was that, that's right and it was wild up there i mean it was it was bad it was kind of bad here and you know i don't want to tell too much about our story but it was more inventive and more sneaky to get your whiskey to, to Glasgow. But up north in places like the Cabrach, getting to getting to Aberdeen, it was it was brutal. I mean when the soldiers or the excise negagers met the smugglers, it was it was open warfare. So it really was brutal up there. A little bit more sneaky and <laughs> furtive down here. So as well as being a Highland whiskey that is matured in the lowlands, Glengoyne also claims to have Scotland's slowest stills. So for anyone that doesn't know, what does this mean and how does this affect the whiskey? Yeah, I mean, uh, Glengoyne, and please, uh, we must come and see the slowest stills uh, if, if anybody's passing by. It really refers to the second distillation. So you've got the first distillation, you've got your, your, your got your low wines from your wash and it sits in the two pot stills about 24-25% ABV then you commence the second distillation 
and just over the generations. It's just a recipe. Uh, as soon as it hits the boiling point, about seven to eight degrees Celsius, you just turn it down, uh, 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 turn it down. You don't have a uh, uh, heavy heat and you're really encouraging the reflux. The, so the vapours will rise from that second distillate and fall down. We've got nice big boiling rings. So the, the vapour hits the boiling rings, hits the copper, falls down. It rises up, it cools down and it keeps on refluxing inside the still. So finally and very slowly, only the lighter vapours make it over that line arm, hit the condensers and then trickle as a as a middle cut at 74% ABV. So it's a very slow process. And our run rate, our flow rate through the middle bowl is five litres per minute per still. And that is really very, very slow. Robbie Hughes, our manager, was saying that that's about 25% capacity. So we're not utilising 75%. You turn it up at one degree, you would get, well, we make just under a million litres of spirit at Glengoyne. If you turned up a couple of degrees, you could make a million and a half. To, but you've lost the you've lost the character of Glengoyne. That slow, lots of copper contact, lots of um, slow, slow condensation. And even the pipes taking the spirit away from the stills are made of copper. So maximum time in the stills and maximum copper contact gives that sort of green apple sweet flavours that Glengoyne's famous for. And we'll hopefully tell you tonight how that came around. All right, okay, nice. Yeah. Yeah. We've mentioned the tour, which is obviously sort of previewing tonight. That's right. I've just, I've been told, and it's my fault as well, um, you, this is more of an experience. It's not, we're not doing a tour of the, the still house. Right, right. So we're trying to avoid, so we do the Glengoyne tour, the wee tasting tour, Malt Masters tour and the gold medal tour. So this is storytelling experience. Okay. Just to sort of demark it from the other tours. So just if you come, you, you'll go to the boardroom and you'll be immersed for an hour and three quarters to two hours of Glengoyne stories and Glengoyne whiskey. And then you can do a tour if you want, but this is just a, a different immersive experience. As part of that immersive experience, and I've mentioned this earlier, how Glengoyne has been linked to the rapid rise of Glasgow as an industrial powerhouse through violent vagabonds and Victorian entrepreneurs to modern day pirates. What can you tell us about that that whole... Yeah, it's it's one of the first, first things I'll say. I mean, Glengoyne, you cannot talk about the rise of Glengoyne without talking about the rise of Glasgow. It's 14 miles away. And as it grows and gets bigger, so does this distillery. Or it was a farm first. Really, the late 18th century is when Glasgow starts to take take shape. And uh, we have evidence of people from the campuses feeding the demand that's coming out of Glasgow. Um, I don't know if you've ever been to Mugduck Country Park. I have, yeah, I walked my dog there. So do I, so do I. I'll give a shout out to Jessie. In the course of this research, um, there was a, a book written by a local minister who talked about the Battle of Mugduck Woods. It was a place of illicit, not only distillation, but smuggling. And tonight we'll talk about how you, if you wanted to get your spirit to Glasgow, you could do it yourself, but you could meet some violent criminal types in Mugduck Country Wood, and they would take your spirit into Glasgow for you, for a cut. And of course, they would maybe water it down, and they would. But they were pretty violent, and they took on the soldiers in eighteen eighteen, the Battle of Mugdut Wood, which I hadn't heard about until I did my research. And not only did these smugglers, these violent gangsters from Glasgow, beat the soldiers, but they chased them out of Mugdut Wood. We don't know what became of the soldiers, but it wouldn't have been pleasant. So, 
you know, when you're next walking your dog, Rosalind, have a have a look around and think this was a, a seething bed of distillation and smuggling nerdy bells. Yeah. Yes. Certainly not like that now. <laughs> and then if you fast forward to the 1840s, 50s, 60s, when Glasgow became the second city of the empire, uh, it was safer to drink beer and whiskey than it was to drink the water from the Clyde. That saw a big expansion here as well. And uh, this was geared up to meet the needs of, of Glasgow. So it was a, a very important fact it probably was the lifeblood of, of Glengoyne of Glasgow. Yes I did not know any of that I will need to I'll, I'll need to think about it next time I'm walking the dog. <laughs> oh the good old days. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we've talked about your job a little bit but is there any part of it which might surprise some people? What's been quite nice is helping out um, more just brand ambassadorial work. So this Wednesday I'm off to my second sort of ferry ship the Viking Line I was there last September, and the basically it's the ferries that go from Sweden to Fol- uh, Falkirk, Sweden to Finland. <laughs> now there's a there's a there's a business model, so that was quite a journey. I was given instructions to fly, get to Edinburgh, fly to Helsinki, get an internal flight from Helsinki to Turku, get a taxi from Turku to the ferry terminal, wait for a ferry, go on it, go up to the ninth floor and meet a guy called Jim who works for us. So that was quite unusual. You know, it's, you've got an email with all that detail. So, you know, it's, it's quite... A, and it worked. I did meet a guy called Jim on the ninth floor of this ferry I'd never been on before. And I'd never heard of Turku. So these are, it is interesting finding different parts of the world. And you know what? You got on that ferry in the middle of the Baltic because it's uh, night sailing from Finland to Sweden. And I would say 99% of the Finns or Swedes that were on that boat had either been to Scotland, are going to Scotland, they knew all about Scotch, knew all about Glengoyne, knew all about other Scotch whiskies, and they just love what we're doing. Love Scotland. You know, that's really surprising. I think this is two in the morning, I'm in the Baltic, and I'm talking about a, a pub in Argyll Street with this guy from Finland. You know, so it's, 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 it's great. That's things I would never have thought. And I can say that about Spain and Germany and Holland and France as well. These people are just so knowledgeable about Scotland. That's what's surprise me and it's like whiskey is the sort of the thing isn't it like you know if you're into whiskey you will come to scotland and you will get to know about scotland through through whiskey i think all roads lead back to it you know they all talk about in sweden they've got local mcmura in germany they do their own single malt and but all roads lead back to scotland they all want to come back and see where it began so i've really found that that surprising very quickly i was in switzerland i'm going there next month last year got to luzerne which is a beautiful place put my bags in the hotel, had to go around to the, the, the whiskey fair, huge pipe band. I thought, that's great, I've flown in a pipe band from Scotland. Turns out, no, that's a Swiss pipe band. Full pipes, full tartan. And I get inside and there's more tartan on the German Swiss guys than there was on people like myself that come over from Scotland. They absolutely really love it. I mean, really, I mean, it's such a lovely vibe out there. Uh, when you travel so that was you know for me that's a surprise it's nice to see as well you do feel among friends it's a bit of a cliche but you travel all that way on you know trains and planes and nobody speaks and you're sitting there and you get to a place and they're so hospitable and warming and they love the whiskey they love the scotch and speaking about whiskey what is your earliest memory of whiskey and are you a fan which is probably a stupid question so i imagine you are and how long have you been into it oh my, my earliest memory and i shouldn't maybe say this of course but he's a everybody says this by the way <laughs> no it's about my grandfather he sadly passed away but he was the gatekeeper in a bond whiskey bond 
in Paisley. It's now sadly closed, but it was in Paisley. And I believe he was on the gate or he was one of the people in charge of security. And my earliest memory is my grandfather, or Papa, as he used to call him, clinking. And I always thought, why is his coat made out of glass? I now realise it was all miniatures and bottles he had in his secret inside pockets. But I, one of my earliest memories of whiskey is, is him, and he always had a whiskey, you know, on, in his hand. So that was just... And every Hugmany, you know, I remember going around in the old days, remember First Footing? Yeah. You know, it's just some, I don't know if anybody listening out there remembers that we used to go First Footing round the houses, and I lived in Paisley. You'd take a bottle of whiskey and just go around houses to about four or five in the morning. And that's that was, you know, 17, 18, 19 year olds and great uh, memories I have. And whiskey was always there at parties. And But yeah, we'd always ask Papa for his stash because he had lots of it. <laughs> and he's cool. <laughs> yes. He seemed to never run out for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> Again, speaking about whiskey, um, do you have a favourite Glengoyne? It's, it's a difficult one. The 21 Glengoyne, which we'll be tasting tonight, is absolutely sensational. You know, that really, it really is. Um, however, this Hugmany, I did have a little bit of the teapot seven. That was my Bell's dram. So I love a good, strong cast strength. <laughs> Sherry, you know, matured whiskey. And that's the latest one? That's right. Is the seven right. the latest one, yeah? Yeah, that's, I had that in uh, Hugmany, one minute past 12. But yeah, 21, just for I think, yes, it's, it's just lovely. Yeah, that's my favourite. I think uh, I was here a few years ago. I used to live out in Dubai and I came back with some friends and we did the tour and we bought a bottle and it was it's very good. I've still got some left. That's, that's the way to do it. You know, when I, I, I'm, not, I'm not here at the, as much, but we used to find that you'd get a lot of younger people coming in. Three and fours had formed their own whiskey club and they all put 15, 20 pounds in. So they could all get the 21 and have a few drinks round the side of it so you don't need to be buying it for yourself at that it's quite expensive yeah. you know but that, you know it's been maturing for 21 years and some very expensive sherry casts so understandably so but it was nice to see you know people chipping in and, and making a night of it with the 21 that's a really good idea it is quite good i thought that was yeah it's a really good, good idea because i paid for it myself and i, I wish i'd sent everyone else <laughs> <laughs> no no that's that's what you should be doing that's you putting wrong there rosalind that's right five of you go, you know go, in, go into it and then you've got a good few drinks and some yeah it's a good idea the last question of the interview is mm. there is there anything about the distillery that even whiskey fans might not know now some people might know this one uh, and uh, through the research, um, I'm going to do it right now. So it features in this experience in the storytelling, but this is an exclusive. In 1965, the Lang brothers, many of you know the Lang Supreme blended whiskey was, you know, a great blend in Scotland. The Langs uh, came to the end of their tenure of Glengoyne in 1965 and they sold it to a company called Robertson and Baxter's, ran by three very colourful ladies um, who became the charitable trust that was Edrington. And they now run McAllen, Highland Park, Cutty Sark. And it was because Cutty Sark had broken America. The Langs hadn't the money to break America. So they had come to the end of the generations. No more Langs left, really. And they sold it to a family business that had, you know, far reach in America, the, the company that had Cutty Sark. And Edrington, as we were to be known, closed this down for about a year. And many of your listeners may not know, but up until that point, Glengoyne had one wash still and one spirit still. And in 1965, 66, they brought in a second spirit still. 
And if you've done the tour, Rosalind, you'll see that we've, we don't do three distillations. We do a simultaneous double second distillation, if that makes sense, in two small copper pot stills. Well, up until 1965, there was only one spirit still at Glengoyne. Post-65, from 66 onwards, there was a second spirit still. I don't know if many people that are into whiskey into Glengoyne would know that little detail. So tonight we're saying that the flavour, there'd be more copper contact. Rather than having one big large still to do the second distillation, now you've got two smaller stills. So just thinking you divide the second distillate into two so there's more copper contacts. Then they meet back up again in the middle bowl. So you get lots more copper contact and that many people I don't think would have known. So does that mean that this the spirit post 65 would taste much a lot different sweeter and fruitier yeah probably the, you know if you tasted it pre-65 there would have been a fruitiness but we think the volume would have just ramped up with the more esters and uh, sweeter fruitier notes there uh, so we're going to go into the section of the podcast now which is desert island either drinks or jams but i'm assuming you'd like it to be jams so the question is um if you were stranded on a desert island what three jams would you take with you and why um am i allowed glen goines or yeah sure like glen goines yeah <laughs> well automatically i would just reach for the 21 you know it's a desert island it's a desert island jay and you're there on your own right okay so that's evening so the sun goes down in the hammock you're you're 21 and you probably would like a, 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 a early morning dram, I would think. So one to get you to sleep, and one just to get you up in the morning. You know, it's a, the ten-year-old Glengoyne is, is a wonderful dram. I would think I'd up about eleven o'clock. So eleven in the morning, ten-year-olds late at night, the twenty-one, and how's about a wee tea time? I'll go for the Tamdu fifteen, which if anybody's not tried that one, that's an absolute cracker. Of a, of a dram as well, so the Tam do 15. Lovely, sounds great. Good, sounds like a good stranding on a desert island. <laughs> yes, it's cheaper than any of like, all-inclusive I've been on. And then the the last section of the podcast is my life and food. So I'm going to ask you some quick-fire questions, if you answer as quickly as you can. Yep. First thing that comes to your mind, are you ready? Yep. So what food brings back childhood nostalgia? Oh, oh, macaroni and cheese. If you were to cook a meal for yourself in an hour, what would it be? Ew, you, you, you. Steak and chips. What's your food guilty pleasure? Oh, um, that's, a, that's a difficult one. If you really put me in the spot here, guilty pleasure because I'm quite unhealthy eating. So I would say, oh, sorry, all day breakfast. You're in a bar at 1am, what do you order? Probably a double single malt. And if you knew it was going to be your last meal, what would you have? Let's go for, I, I, I love pasta as well. I don't know. I, I love. I, I know pizza. Just go for that lovely pizza with some chilies on it as well. Maybe a few anchovies and maybe a wee crack of a of a egg on top as well. Oh, nice. I I I don't often do it, but since it's my last one, I thought I'll just try a, a melange of pizza toppings. But no, I love a pizza. Well, thank you very much. Well, thank you, Rosalind. Thank you. You can download Scran wherever you listen to your podcasts, but for exclusive, interactive, immersive content, download the Entail app for iOS and Android. If you like what you've heard, please rate and review Scran and help other listeners discover us too. This is a Laudable production for The Scotsman. You can find out more about Laudable and its other local podcasts by following on Twitter, where we are at Laudable Pods, and Instagram by searching Laudable underscore podcasts.